You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, with another episode of Seeking Excellence. Welcome to the Seeking Excellence podcast. Uh, it is great to be with you today. I have lots of thoughts. I'm kind of unorganized. I've thought about what I wanted to talk about today for a while. You know, this is going to be kind of a continuation of um, the old uh, one I did last week on escaping death row. So we're kind of going back to this topic. So if you are trying to be over it, I apologize because we're going back. We're going back into it. I don't think we're really out of the woods yet as a society. So I figured I could continue to talk about it as a podcaster. Um, And so, yeah, so really wanted to go into some of this stuff that's kind of happened since last week. There's tons of things to kind of break down. Um, So I have a few ideas today of what I want to talk about. Um, So one is I want to share... I don't think I'm going to do this first, but one of the things I want to share, I love doing this with you guys, is an online debate I had with somebody in the DMs on Instagram. Uh, we'll keep the person anonymous, but I just think it's interesting and fun and fruitful and, and worthwhile to go into the mind of your opponents, right? And actually like get to see some of the people we disagree with. Because I know a lot of people don't get to actually engage with people they disagree with. One of the reasons why I love sharing stuff on social media is getting to actually talk with those who see things differently than me. Um, obviously there's certain things my mind's not open to changing on, right? Like, I don't think anybody's going to convince me that God doesn't exist, that I shouldn't be Catholic or that I shouldn't be pro-life, but it is interesting hearing their reasoning, why they are, what they are, etc. This one was kind of a spinoff of a pro-life post that I shared, uh, that it was the first time I ever got called, uh, a transphobe, which almost felt like an induction into the uh, the canceled mob. Obviously, I've been Uncle Tom's before and misogynist or hate women and stuff for being pro-life. Um, been accused of all of those things, but I had never gotten to be called a transphobe before for actually stating biological facts and in, in the like. So, uh, so that was that was a new one, uh, kind of new new thing to add to to the resume, um, which is great. Uh, one thing that just kind of struck my mind, hopefully it was Holy Spirit led is I've been considering like praying on the podcast, uh, just occasionally, just kind of when I, when I think that I should, I always pray beforehand, but sometimes I think it's good to, to pray with people and people can hear you. And we have people that are super deep in their faith life and people who are not very deep in their faith life who listen 
And so one of the things that I always found really helpful with praying with other people was hearing other people pray. It really taught me how to pray. And so uh, not just that, but I think we're in a time where we need as much prayer as possible. So let's say a quick prayer, and then we'll dive into some other stuff that I have for today between the catechism, this other book that I'm showing you if you're watching on YouTube, uh, Liberalism is a Sin um, by Father Felix Sarda. And um, we're going to go into, I got my... 1962 daily Roman missile with me today. Got the catechism on deck. So we got some fun stuff we're going to get into today. But first, let's say a quick prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our lives, all the blessings you've given us, all the things you've given us to be good stewards of, and uh the, the many blessings that you've just entrusted to our care and responsibility. Lord, we ask that you fill us with all humility, love, and patience that it takes to navigate this crazy world that we're in. We pray for the conversion of sinners, pray for the conversion, especially of Catholics who've fallen away from their faith, especially our political leaders, people like Joe Biden, um, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and all other Catholics or Christians who have just uh, really just denied you so strongly in the fight for popularity and the fight for power in their own lives. And we pray that we can continue to strive to, to work out our salvation with you so we can be holy examples that will help other people to encounter your love and mercy and your truth here on earth. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Thomas More, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. I think it was my first time actually praying on the podcast, at least one of, uh, which probably isn't a good thing. I should probably do it more often. But yeah, let me know if you like that or not. Um, I honestly don't care if, if you didn't, uh, but you can still tell me if you didn't. Anyways, so man, I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, I had so many things I wanted to cover. All right. So first I want to go into something that I shared last week. Um, actually, no, let me save that for the end. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that for the end. Let's actually start with what I had written down last. And that is why am I so hard on pro-choice Catholics? So I had a good friend of mine in an effort to try to hold me accountable, which I'm always grateful for talk about, you know, one of my posts last week that got a lot of praise, obviously a lot of people disliked it as well, was one post on my story that was kind of building up to this. And I posted and said, you cannot be pro-choice and be Catholic. Now, this also started a great debate among us, uh, among, between the two of us on one, whether it's helpful to use that kind of rhetoric, but two, also, is it true that you can become not Catholic, which is a very, very interesting debate, right? So I don't know that I have a good answer to that. I've been working it out in my mind a lot. One thing I really, really don't like is this the, the loose definition that we have for the word Catholic. And the more that I read older literature, the more it seems as though um, Catholics in the past would refer to Catholics as people who are practicing Catholics, as faithful Catholics. They, you know, like I, I read, you know, many quotes from the, the book a couple weeks ago in my Defense of Pope Francis podcast. And uh, one of them that I really loved was to be Catholic is to be a papist. And so he gives that definition. Now, in today's world, we often hear the definition given that if you are a baptized Catholic, then you're Catholic, right? Kind of this to me, it really mirrors in a certain sense, this once Catholic, once baptized or once, excuse me, disregard everything I just said for the last 10 seconds. I think I just had an aneurysm reset. It kind of mirrors the Protestant belief of once saved, always saved, right? 
if you don't know, it's kind of an evangelical, I mean, a lot of Protestants believe in this, where basically you get baptized and like, yes, your ticket to heaven, right? Like you are locked in, you're saved, salvation is checked, you know, like you're going to heaven. Um, that's why you hear people, Protestants sometimes be like, are you saved or whatever? We Catholics don't believe in that, um, mainly because it's not scripture based, um, but also because it's just not in church tradition. We believe in faith and works. Doesn't mean you earn your way to heaven, but it does mean that you continue, as St. Paul writes, in scriptures to work out your salvation if you're in troubling with the Lord and that through participation in church life, um, that is in the Catholic church specifically, um, participating in the life of the sacraments, you will be saved, right? You are saved in, in multiple different ways. Uh, Father Mike has a great video on this. Maybe I'll link it if I remember, where he talks about like, you were saved at your baptism, you're being saved and you hope to be saved, right? Uh, it's kind of confusing, but I would encourage you to watch that video. He does a better job explaining it than I could right now. But I think the once Catholic, always Catholic thing kind of reminds me of that. Now, this is my quick kind of rundown of why I don't believe that that's true. Um, and then I'll explain to you why I think that it matters. So the once saved, always saved thing is something that we obviously don't agree with. You can be baptized Catholic. Now, a lot of, a lot of times this will be used in a way to kind of like, it's kind of like a gotcha moment. I always feel like for a lot of Catholics who are trying to tell people who like hate the church or um, disagree on church teaching or whatever, be like, I used to be Catholic or whatever. And they're like, no, actually you were baptized Catholic. You're always Catholic. Now, I think there's a stronger argument for when you say that when you were confirmed, but I don't think that I believe that. And I don't know if there's church teaching on this. So don't like, this is my opinion. Um, and then I'll explain, like I said, why I think it's so important. Uh, so, but don't take, like, I'm not reading out of the catechism. I'm just giving you my thoughts. You can be baptized Catholic, just like you can be baptized in other Christian denominations and go on to be confirmed in the Catholic church. If you were baptized like I was in a Lutheran church or, I mean, a vast majority of Christian churches, like we consider their baptisms valid. So that means when you come into the Catholic church from another denomination, most of the time, you do not need to be re-baptized, right? Like your baptism counts. To me, that explains that like your baptism is really leaving that indelible mark on you as a Christian, as a child of God, but kind of in a looser term than what we consider to be Catholic, right? So I'm really interested in what that means to be, like I, I'm debating in my mind and trying to work out, can you even actually be baptized Catholic or are you just baptized, right? You know, if, you're, if your baptism in other churches is valid within the Catholic church, but then you wouldn't consider them baptized Catholic, but it still counts. They don't have to be baptized Catholic in order to be Catholic, then it really just seems like you need to be baptized in order to be Catholic. So it's almost a prerequisite to be Catholic, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're Catholic. So to, to break that down a little bit more, it's kind of like squares and rectangles is what I'm understanding is that you can, you have to be baptized in order to be considered Catholic, but you don't have to be Catholic in order to be baptized. So to me, that kind of separates those two as you were baptized in a Catholic church, therefore you're Catholic forever. The other thing that I think is interesting in it is what is the definition of Catholic? Obviously, we know that the word means universal. But further, further than that, what does it mean to be Catholic? And so this is where I think the, the real debate comes to and why I think that we should often make the distinction and actually claim that people are no longer Catholic. So according to the Oxford Dictionary, there's two. There's adjective and a noun. I want to read the noun because that's what I'm talking about, right? A Catholic person um, that just used the word Catholic as an adjective, but let's say I'm talking about a Catholic. 
so that I actually make sense with what I'm saying. So the noun is a member of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, that is a secular definition. What do we understand that to mean, though? That is what we mean when we say somebody's Catholic, right? Uh, it's like saying you're American. What does that mean? It means you're an American citizen, right? Like you're a member of an organization or a group of people. Um, and I think that Catholic is similar to that um, more than it is something that's intrinsic. So the other thing that I think is really interesting and comparable. So there's the once saved, always saved mentality that I think has crept into the church that kind of gives this once Catholic, always Catholic. But the other thing that I think is really interesting in it, and I'm going to come back to the pro-life stuff. I know that I just completely derailed from what I said I was going to talk about. The other, the other analogy to this is, uh, is Jewish. So you can be culturally Jewish. You can be religiously Jewish. And we see now as Catholicism becomes more and more cultural, especially in places like Italy, Ireland, right? Where it's like, oh yeah, I'm Catholic. We see this in the Northeast and America all the time and across the country. But it's like, yeah, I'm Catholic. I'm so Catholic. My grandmother goes to church all the time. I was an altar server. It's like, dude, you haven't been to mass in 10 years, right? But there's this kind of cultural Catholicism. Like, yeah, Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic. Like you're kind of Catholic. And, and it's like, what does that mean? Like we are not Jewish as Catholics, right? Like we, we are not an ethnic group. We are a, the body of Christ, right? We are the continuation of the Jewish people, of Israel, right? God's chosen people on earth, but it's not some like intrinsic ethnic thing. Like I will always be black. That is for sure. I will always be half white. I can't change it. There's no changing it. Very similar to how I'll always be a man, but that's a song for another time. So you, you can, in that sense, to me, lose it right? You can't be unbaptized. You will always be baptized. You always be a baptized child of God. But to be part of the Catholic faith, because of the fact that you can be baptized and not be Catholic, which we'd all agree with, then your baptism doesn't necessarily mean that you're a part of the Catholic church. So to be, so the, the secular meaning is you're a member of the Roman Catholic church. The Catholic, the, you know, theological meaning is to be a member of the body of Christ, right? To be a member of that. Now, we obviously separate ourselves from God through sin, especially through mortal sin. We call that the deadening of the soul, right? It's the, this ride's called mortal. Um, it actually cuts you off from Christ. And so to me, to persevere in mortal sin for years on end would, in my opinion, make somebody not Catholic anymore. If you do not practice the Catholic faith, then you're not Catholic. You're not a member of the body of Christ. And I think it's one of the things like, like one of the, we always say, you know, like one of the greatest tricks the devil's ever pulled off is convincing people that he doesn't exist. Right. Same goes for, uh, you know, convincing people that hell isn't real or that this idea that like everybody gets saved. Right. That's, that's incorrect. That's not true. It's a heresy. Um, Christ himself talks about this. Mary has in many, many apparitions given visions or descriptions of hell and how full it is. If anything, they've given the saints and Mary like throughout the years have given us the impression that many more people go to hell than go to heaven. That should be concerning for us. So to me too, we have these six precepts. Now I opened up my uh, 1962 missile, as you can see here. So this is the missile for, that's used for the Latin mass, which one of the, my favorite things about it is all this like, catechesis it has at the beginning right so it kind of has like the most necessary prayers section at the beginning and all these great prayers but also like random stuff that like we should know as catholics right so it's it's called a summary of catholic doctrine and it starts with like the ten commandments 
goes to the seven sacraments, all this stuff, but it has what they call the six precepts of the church. And those are this, to hear mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation, to fast and abstain on the days commanded, to confess our sins at least once a year, to receive the blessed Eucharist at Easter or within the time appointed, to contribute to the support of our pastors, not to solemnize marriage at the forbidden times, nor to marry persons within the forbidden degrees of, of kindred or otherwise prohibited by the church, nor secretly. So there you have it. So to me, like the six precepts. So now when you look up precepts, the definition of precepts is a general rule. Uh, similar words or um, synonyms are principle, rule, tenet, canon, code, doctrine, guideline. Those are some pretty basic things, right? Confession once a year, receive communion once a year at Easter, um, attend mass, um, give to the church to support the pastors. Like if, if you're doing none of those and you hold anti-church beliefs near and dear to your heart and you actively advocate for them in the world, I just can't, I think the argument is just so weak to argue that you, that we need to consider those people Catholic and therefore we should delineate between practicing Catholics and non-practicing Catholics. Here is why I think that this matters. All of this has been, I think, really infiltrated. Our thoughts have been really infiltrated and diluted by the Protestant Reformation and this obsession we have with liberalism. I don't mean liberalism as is often used as an analogy for just anything democratic or like Democrat, not democratic, but like anything uh, progressive or associated with the Democratic Party, because there's lots of liberalism within the conservatives and the Republican Party as well, especially amongst your uh, libertarians, right? It's like the definition of libertarian is to be liberal, the classical liberals, everybody does whatever they want. The problem with that philosophy, as you can, so this book, I'm going to go to this book now, you can't really see it, there we go, liberalism is a sin, it's really, really fire. I have a really, really old copy of it, like 12 pages fell out of it, which is pretty funny. Um, but let me see if I can give this definition. So this is what it goes. You ready? Liberal, liberalism is what they say here. Liberalism is the dogmatic affirmation of the absolute independence of the individual and of the social reason. Catholicity, Catholicism is the dogma of the absolute subjection of the individual and of the social order to the revealed law of God. One doctrine is the exact antithesis of the other. They are opposites in direct conflict. When I talked a few weeks ago in defense of Pope Francis uh, in, about that book um, and several other things, the book, What Went Wrong with Vatican II by Ralph McInerney, he kind of laid this out, right? I talked a lot about how in 1968, Humanae Vitae came out by um, Pope Paul VI, and it was one of the starts of the great decline of life, of, Catholic, of Catholic life, of the Catholic Church, after, um, maybe decline is not the right word, but the struggle, struggle that we're facing now um, after Vatican II, because so many theologians and priests and bishops dissented from papal teaching, official papal teaching, official church teaching on the issue of contraception, right? And so this is what this book is all about, is are you subject to the church or is the individual supreme? And what those people taught you, the ones who dissented from church teaching, was that the individual is supreme. And they really relied heavily on this. Um, I believe it kind of comes from St. Thomas Aquinas, this advocation that we had the ability and the 
uh, responsibility, according to some, to discern everything on our own. And that's where you see all of these people who consider this, I'm Catholic, but right, what we call cafeteria Catholics, they go through like a buffet line at a university where they just choose whatever the hell they want and they leave whatever they don't. And that's not what it means to be Catholic. As Ralph McInerney puts in that book, I believe it's true that to be Catholic is to be a papist. It is to fall in line with church teaching because we believe that the Pope is infallible when speaking uh, infallibly on church doctrine and teaching, and that to deny his teaching in that way is to deny the church, which is the body of Christ, which is to deny Christ, which puts you at great, great risk for losing salvation, right? For not gaining heaven at the end of your life, which is like the entire purpose of life, right? So that's why I think that this matters because I think it's so dangerous I think one of the worst things that we do is we tell people, or at least act like people are on their way to heaven when they're on their way to hell, right? And I've been called out in some very uncomfortable times in my life when I was drinking too much, where I was fornicating, when I was um, just not being kind to people in my life, you know, like being overly sarcastic and rude and berating people, very prideful. Um, I've been called out so many times by so many good people in my life. And I'm so grateful that my spiritual directors, friends, my spouse now, you know, my wife, that they call me out on these things so that they don't just let, like, it's not loving to not do that, to just let me be comfortable and and casually drift myself into hell. Like that is not the move. If you actually love and care about somebody and those of us with like half a brain cell and half a formed conscience and half uh, a year's worth of, of catechesis know that to be true. Right. And so we have to call people out. And so why am I so hard on pro-choicers? This is why. Right. Because this is this is sinful. This is like gravely sinful. So let's talk about how gravely sinful it is to be pro-choice the, and just the sin of abortion in general. All right. So let's bust, bust open this old uh, this old catechism. You know what I'm saying? Let's get let's get this bread, right? So check this out. So if you don't have a catechism in your house, what are you doing with your life? I truly do not understand. All right. Am I on the right page here? Yeah, I am. Okay. So catechism section 2270 says, this is the, you know, like the official teaching of the church, right? That's why St. John Paul II had this put together. It says human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. From the first moment of his existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person, among which is the invaluable right of every innocent being to life. Then it quotes some scripture and goes on to say that since the first century, the church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. This teaching has not changed and remains unchangeable. Direct abortion, that is to say, abortion willed either as an end or a means, is gravely contrary to the moral law. Formal cooperation in an abortion constitutes a grave offense. The church attaches the canonical penalty of excommunication to this crime against human life. Quote, a person, quote within a quote, a person who procures a completed abortion incurs excommunication. Then says some Latin words that I don't know how to say. By the very commission of the offense and subject to the conditions provided by canon law. The church does not thereby intend to restrict the scope of mercy. Rather, she makes clear the gravity of the crime committed, the irreparable harm done to the innocent who is put to death, as well as to the parents and the whole of society. 
Okay. So I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty serious to me. I was really moved the other night when I was reading this um, on the part where it says the church attaches the canonical penalty of excommunication to this crime against human life. Excommunication. That's pretty big. So I looked up on CatholicStraightAnswers.com, what is excommunication? And it says, and I quote, excommunication is the church's most severe penalty imposed for particularly grave sins. Through baptism, a person is incorporated into the body of the church through which there is a communication of spiritual goods. By committing a particularly grave sin and engaging in activities which cause grave scandal and fracture the body of the church, the communication ceases and the person is deprived of receiving the sacraments and other privileges. Okay, so the communication ceases. So again, this goes back to what I said before of where you are legitimately cut off from the body of Christ. That's a huge deal. It is massive. It's so massive, in fact, that this means that you actually can't just go back to confession afterwards. There's like a special thing you have to get set up with a priest um, in order to get this sin forgiven once you've been excommunicated. You don't get excommunicated and just go back. Now, this also implies to me that you can be excommunicated not as formally as we always like to think, right? We often think of excommunication as, you know, the Pope has officially excommunicated this person or a bishop has officially excommunicated this person, which does happen, which should happen probably more than it does and is a form of that. But in this sense of excommunication being the communication ceasing between the body of Christ and the individual who's committed one of these particularly grave sins, you can almost excommunicate yourself in that way, right? By participating in one of these sins and condoning that or committing that. Now, this is uh, going back to my Roman Catholic Daily Missal. They have something in here called um, sins crying to heaven for vengeance. So there's one of, there's a, se- a section for that, one of which is willful, willful murder, which abortion is considered by the church. And then another is nine ways of being accessory to another sin. Those nine ways are by counsel, by command, by consent, by provocation, by praise or flattery, by concealment, by partaking, by silence, by defense of the ill done. Now imagine participating in all of those for the sin of abortion. For years and years, as we see many Catholic politicians doing, but also just many Catholics in general do this by counsel. Obviously, there's not many that command it, but by counsel, by provocation, by praise or flattery, by silence, and by defense of the ill done. Those are some things that you see all the time by pro-choice Catholics. And, and then and then there's so many Catholics and goodwilled Catholics too. They have compassion. They have love in their hearts and they want to be kind to other people. But like excommunication exists for a reason because it's actually a form of justice to let people know, hey, you're not heading in the right direction. You have cut yourself off from the body of Christ. And now think about this on just a logical, like spiritual level, right? If... Dude, if you have been cut off from the body of Christ for this reason, whether for committing an abortion or for praising people for it, defending it constantly, being silent on the issue for many years, whatever it might be, 
how like how misinformed and, and misformed is your brain, soul, and conscious at this point? Right? Like you're cut off from the grace of God. You're cut off from what this, you know, what uh catholicstraightanswers.com says that you through baptism you're incorporated into the body through which a person is communicate, you get the communication of spiritual goods. You cut yourself off from that. Dude. That's a huge deal. This literally, this article literally specifically says people who procure, procure a successful abortion and, and how they're automatically excommunicated. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's wild, guys. This is, the purpose of commun- excommunication is to shock the sinner into repentance and conversion. We need that sometimes. And I feel like we, we I get so frustrated with, with so many Catholics who just have this like, well, you just journey with people, right? And you're just compassionate and just the way you live your life, eventually they like convert. And it's like, do you know how often that doesn't happen? I'm not saying that it's not the way we should lead, right? That, that you should go around just telling people, hey, you're, ahead, you're going to hell. Like, I don't do that. And I don't suggest people do that. But occasionally letting people know that you can't be pro-choice and Catholic seems to me to be a worthwhile thing, right? Because you have people out here on the other side, you have people like, Jamie Manson from Catholics for Choice, right? And I just discovered her recently because uh, I was looking at Catholics for Choice last week to see what kind of dumb shit they were posting, and they did not let me down. Um, if in, in the fact, in the case that I was looking for something stupid, I found it. They shared this story, or it was a reel. I can't find the reel where Samantha B from Full Frontal was Samantha B, one of the absolute least funny human beings that potentially has ever walked the face of the earth, but definitely currently walking the face of the earth. If you want to see something really, really, really funny, these are like my favorite, one of my favorite series on YouTube. You should watch Matt Walsh's uh, try to laugh challenge. So it's like the try not to laugh challenge, but the opposite. And he watches feminist comedians, um, like the stand-up specials and stuff like that, and tries to laugh. He has like four or five of them. Dude, I... I love those. They're so funny. Samantha B, I believe, is one of them. And she she does not make him laugh because uh, she's horrific. So she had she had uh, this is this was really interesting. So the, the the reel that I can't find, unfortunately, from this stupid ass show was um, she emailed she she interviewed she had a a Jewish rabbi, a a Muslim woman. And uh, Jamie Manson, who, according to Catholic for Choice, was was or is the CEO of of Catholics for Choice. Let me see if I can confirm that. Um, because yeah, her website, the Jamie Manson website, doesn't actually say that. Um, but I feel like that's what they said. But now I can't see who's there, so I'm trying to see who who we are. Board of directors or our staff. This is page not found. So I guess they're a little shy. But yeah, so so she obviously sucks. She's the CEO of, of Catholics for Choice. So she's an apostate Catholic who um she's an apostate human who used to be Catholic, according to my logic of this podcast. Uh, but there's this quote that uh Samantha B still posted on Instagram. Um, after that came from this interview with the three ladies, all of whom have uh, nice young uh, boy haircuts. And I assume, I mean, 
it'd be hard to imagine that none of them are lesbians, if not all of them are lesbians, but who knows? Uh, but they all sit there and lie about what their religion teaches about abortion, which is really interesting. I'm not positive on what the Muslim teaching of it is, but I, I've heard like, <laughs> yeah, you know, that the Judeo Christian values, like abortion is obviously contrary to that. So there's this quote from, uh, here and, and on the, the, uh, the, um, What's the word? The caption of the post says, our friend Jamie Manson brought the facts for to our abortion conversation, but Sam brought her personal experiences from her time in a plaid skirt. So I guess Samantha B used to go to a Catholic school, which of course screws, screws everything up, right? So uh, this is what old Jamie Manson said. She said, the majority of Catholics, 56%, think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. 68% of Catholics do not believe Roe v. Wade should be struck down. Now, check it out here, my friends. If you've been paying attention all along, you know that I think this is an incredibly, incredibly stupid argument. Why, you might ask? Because it doesn't effing matter what you think as a Catholic. Your opinion is irrelevant. Why? Because I just read to you the Catechism of the Catholic Church and what it states on the grave sin of abortion. Based on the other things that I read to you about how you can praise and defend and all this other stuff of grave sins and still partake in that sin, you can pretty easily draw the connection that we as Catholics should be pro-life. And that even if 96% of Catholics think abortion should be legal in all or most cases, it wouldn't matter. That just means that 56% of Catholics are apostate and deny church teaching. Does that change church teaching? No. So why these idiots, why these idiots get these platforms to come on here and speak? You know why it is. It's literally the work of the devil. It does an incredible job. Uh, they do an incredible job, man, to get this stuff going. I'm looking at the Catholic for Choice website right now, and it's, just horrific. They're just, you're just not Catholic. And this is something that I think is really interesting is there's always, always, every time you get somebody like this, they don't just disagree with church teaching once. It's not like the cafeteria Catholics where it's like, like I'm, I'm like kind of picky in, in some people's eyes, but not really. Cause like, I really just don't like pickles and mustard. Like random stuff that you can just like hold from the sandwich, right? But I'll still eat the meal. But that's not how like cafeteria Catholics operate, right? They're not like, oh, yeah, like I'll, I'll eat what everybody else is having. But like, just can you just hold the ketchup for me? No, they want an entirely different thing. They want it. And it's all like it's never just one. And so what else does Jamie Manson's website say? Oh, she also um, she's a nationally sought after speaker, immediate commentator on issues related to LGBT Catholics. Of course she is. At the bottom, what else does she do? She's served as a homilist for the New York City chapter of Dean in the USA and on the board of the Women's Ordination Conference. So what else does she advocate for? The church attains that her teachings on LGBT issues, on trans issues, on uh, gay marriage, and women's ordination. Of course, naturally. She also has appeared many times in the National Catholic Reporter, which also just is filled with nonsense. So there's that. 
It's always many things, my friend. Why? Because when you cut yourself off from the, the, from the communication of spiritual goods, you lose your, your, your faculty of reason, right? Like you get your reason gets warped. And most importantly, you fall into this sin of liberalism. Whereas I said, when I read the quote before, liberalism is the dogmatic affirmation of the absolute independence of the individual and of the social reason. Catholicism is the dogma of the absolute subjection of the individual and of the social order to the revealed law of God. Literally, Adam and Eve in the garden, the Tower of Babel, many other uh, times and examples in scripture show us what happens when man decides to take matters into our own hands and we try to make ourselves into God. It's incredibly dangerous. Now, I want to read to you a few other quotes from this book, Liberalism is a Sin. And I want you just to feel, man, just feel how much this makes you think of the people in your, in your, uh, in your life, especially during all these pro-life, uh, pro-choice, you know, moments that we're having right now. So he breaks down three different categories that he calls the extreme liberal, the moderate liberal, and the uh, Catholic simply tainted with liberalism. Um. Or, or what he calls quasi-liberals. Now, the extreme liberal, liberal he says, are easily recognized, uh, does not attempt to deny or conceal his perversity, right? So he's a declared enemy of the Pope, all this other stuff, right? Like the, these people would be considered that, I think. Um, somebody like Jamie Manson, um, obviously like an AOC, like somebody who's non-Catholic, maybe AOC, she might even baptize Catholic because she's Hispanic, who knows? But um I guess she can't be baptized Catholic. She might have been baptized in the Catholic church and raised Catholic. Who knows? But uh, yeah, Nancy Pelosi, you know what I mean? Like some of these people who are just like objectively anti um, these things. Now you can say they're not necessarily declared enemies of the Pope, uh, but they're pretty close, right? Um, now you don't see many of those in your day-to-day life. So I don't think that's that important, but the moderate liberal, he says is just as bad as the extreme, but takes good care not to appear so. Now, this was the section I really loved about the moderate liberal. Um, it says the moderate, moderate liberal does not detest the Pope. He may even express admiration for his sagacity. I don't know if I said that word right. Going back to the text, he only blames certain pretensions of the Roman Curia and certain exaggerations of ultramonetism. Oh, damn, I don't know what these words are. You think I can't read? Ultramontanism, which do not fall in with the trend of modern thought. He may even like priests, above all, those who are enlightened, that is, such as have caught the twang of modern progress. Think of your father, James Martins of the world. As for fanatics and reactionaries, he simply avoids or pities them. He may even go to church and, stranger still, sometimes approaches the sacraments. But his maxim is, in the church to live as a Christian, outside of the church to live as the world lives, according to the times in which one is born, and not obstinately to swim against the stream. I love that. So these are the people, you know, they still go to church, but in the church, they live as a Christian in the world. They live as the world lives. Now you spend 98% of your time outside of church. If you go to mass once a week, probably more than that, 99% of your time, 99.3. That's a guess, but probably a good one. If I had to guess it, I did guess it. Um, so that's not a great, that's not a great ratio as far as salvation goes. Um, but yeah, you, you know, people like this, you know, 
who who are just diehard Democrats, diehard progressives. And I, like I said, I'm not like a defender of the Republican Party. We have a whole host of issues within the Republican Party. But as a Catholic, you just cannot be a diehard Democrat. It doesn't make any sense. Now, this one I think is really interesting. The Catholic simply tainted with liberalism is generally a good man and sincerely pious. He exhales, nevertheless, an odor of liberalism in everything he says, writes, or takes up. Now, this is what I really like, this part here. To treat as a liar the man who propagates false ideas is, in the eyes of this singular theologian, to sin against the Holy Spirit. To him, the falsifier is simply misguided. It is not the poor fellow's fault. He has, simple soul, been misled. We ought neither to resist nor combat him. We must strive to attract him by soft words and pretty compliments. Then he says, how the devil must chuckle over the mushy charity held out as a bait to abet his own cause. Now, that one you know many of. So I think the moderate liberals or liberals are those who come to Catholic Church and they're the absolute cafeteria Catholics. They have no regard for like the need to subject themselves to church teaching. Um, but they go to mass on Sundays, and that's pretty much the extent of their spiritual lives. And then in everything else in their life, they pretty much advocate for things against the church. And then uh, and that has a range, obviously, on that as well, right? And then you have the people who are genuinely trying to be Catholic, they're trying to raise Catholic families. They pray the rosary, you know, they um, they go to mass, maybe even multiple times a week, whatever. But they're really, really soft on the moderate liberals. And that's what I loved at the end is there's just always this, you know, they just feel so bad for the misguided people. They've been so lied to and they've been misguided and they're just simple souls and um, they have good intentions, but they're just all these pro-choice Catholics. And it's like, dude, maybe some of them. But also, again, if you follow me on uh, social media, you've seen some of the things that I've shared. And, you know, if you've seen any of the um, absolute unreal damage that's been done, let me see if I can share my screen and, and show some of this um, for those of you who are who are watching me. Dude, the 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 to abortion or to um, crisis pregnancy centers and Catholic churches. It's been wild to see what's done. And the way these people react, this woman here, ladies, if you get pregnant, run down to the abortion clinic and have that little bastard sucked right out of you. It says, now let me go back here. Sorry. I got out of the wrong thing, but yeah, you can see in here, the uh, the damage that was done, a Molotov cocktail thrown to a crisis pregnancy center, um, spray painting all over churches and things like that. Again, the Loretto house just being defaced and uh, yeah, facing this domestic terrorism, which is really, really wild. Look at this one. I love this post by this woman. It says New York headquarters or New York Times says the headquarters of an anti-abortion group in Madison, Wisconsin was set on fire. Sunday morning in an act of vandalism that included the attempted use of a Molotov cocktail and graffiti that read, if abortions aren't safe, then neither are you. And then somebody else responded, a blue check mark on Twitter. More of this. May these people never know a moment of peace or safety until they rot in the ground. And then this black woman who's pro-life came out and said, people talk of white supremacy, but that doesn't scare me at all. And why the fudge would it? 
Where do you see, where do you like, show me the lynchings? Like we're always talking about white supremacy. We have to be scared of white supremacy. And I see all these black Catholics influencers who talk about, oh, we have white supremacy and things aren't fair for uh, women of color suffer the most with, uh, you know, abortion restrictions and all that stuff. And it's like, dude, like this woman said, may these people never know a moment of peace or safety until they rot in the ground. And this pro-life woman says, I've never been treated as inferior because of my race, but ideological supremacy is what I'm afraid of. As the only time someone spat at me was when I prayed outside an abortion clinic. That is absolutely wild. Another just disgusting, disgusting. You can see here just the, the damage that was done at these churches. Our tabernacle was stolen last night. Father Christopher, Christopher Plant uh, tweeted this. We don't know who did it, but police are investigating. This Ruth Senus tweeted, uh, at Ruth Senus is, the, is the, uh, the handle, stuff your rosaries and your weaponized prayer. We will remain outraged after this weekend, so keep praying. We will be burning the Eucharist to show our disgust for the abuse Catholic churches have condoned for centuries. Dude, what? And people were just like, people were like so soft on this? Activists vandalizing church doors. We had another, it happens all the time here in Colorado. There's one church in particular in Boulder. I think they're in Boulder or Golden that constantly get vandalized. 666 all over the church doors and all these demonic symbols. It's terrible. And it's happening all across the country. Where's, where's the Catholic Joe Biden on this? this? This video by The Loop. dude it's terrible it's terrible disgusting stuff and i know people will say well that's not everybody and i know it's not everybody i know it's not everybody but this is this is what this is what separates there's a few things that separate abortion for me into a different category where i would not say uh as boldly that you can't be pro same-sex marriage and not catholic or pro blm and not catholic um same-sex marriage one has a much stronger um, argument for sure, especially if you're pro it within the church. But I think that the people in the LGBT conversation and people in the Black Lives Matter conversation get really lied to and can be And the church does have uh, commands for compassion and for love and for um, and against racism, right? And so it can seem really easy if you have been fed these lies by political leaders, by uh, social leaders, by pastors, even sometimes on like how we should support BLM and this radical that BLM, the organization and stuff like that. And this radical, you know, 1619 project and all this stuff you can kind of, like, you can start to understand it. Right. Obviously there's a lot of things that I think make it so that a Catholic should not support BLM as an organization. Um, and should not support, uh, you know, LGBT uh, gender ideology and certain aspects of that. But I can, I can, I have a lot more compassion about how people can be drawn into it. And the other thing about, you know, and, and I think it just it can be kind of confusing, right? Like if you if you see the articles, like I said about Pope Francis last week or two weeks ago, 
if you see the articles when you Google like uh, Pope Francis, like comment on civil unions and stuff like that, like it gets dominated by CNN and ABC News and MSNBC, right? On their articles and their interpretation of the Pope's words. So I could see how people can be confused. But as the catechism said today, from the first century, we have been ardently against abortion in any capacity. We have, we have believed that you must defend and protect life from the moment of conception. There has been utterly no confusion. The only press the church gets against in times like this is as being ardently pro-choice or pro-life. We get hate and all kinds of crap thrown our way because we are ardently pro-life and people know that. That's why, you know, Elevation Church and Joel Osteen's church, they don't get vandalized during times like this. The Catholic churches do. They're stealing the Eucharist because just like the satanic temple always comes out and says, abortion is, is a part of our religious rights. You can't take that away from us. And freedom of religion defends us to have the right of abortion. And um, it's a part of our religion. You're damn right it is. And so why does the satanic temple and all these evil people come out and draw these satanic symbols on Catholic churches and not Protestant churches? Because the Catholic church is pro-life. There is no confusion. You are absolutely knowingly as far unless you live under a rock and come out very sparingly to come out and see the arguments in, in favor of pro-choice stuff, you know that the Catholic Church is pro-life and is against abortion. So that's why I'm so strong and why I have such strong words on this very topic. So that's that. Yeah, sorry, just still kind of going through these uh, terrible, terrible things that we saw. Um, so the vandalism and all this stuff will continue. Evil will continue. But we know who wins in the end. Um, God is good. And so, uh, yeah, so continue to pray, continue to strive to be holy. Now let's talk about... Um, Let's talk about the thing that happened uh, last last week in my um, fun little spinoff conversation that I had with a guy who I don't think I've ever met, but I might have known in college. I can't remember. Names kind of sounds familiar, but uh, I shared this post from Seth Dillon. If you don't know who Seth Dillon is, he is the CEO of the Babylon Bee, which is like my favorite thing in the world. Uh, at least top five. So it says, uh, Seth Dillon tweeted out and then he posted on Instagram. He said, you can't say, quote, no uterus, no opinion, end quote, anymore. You gave that up when you said trans women are women. And my words along with that, where I said, this will be one of the most entertaining parts of the backlash, watching all the people who claim men can get pregnant now be upset that men uh, make decisions regarding the killing of unborn babies. And then I also included for uh, some zesty spice, the uh, new emojis of pregnant men, which are fun. Not actually fun, but they exist. So uh, this guy responded to my story. He doesn't follow me, so I don't know how he saw it. But he said, congrats on managing to fit transphobia, misogyny, and misogyny in one post. Truly a godly way to move through the world. Now, let me go back here because I wanted to share something. I'm going to share my screen again so you can see this uh Tweet from Gavin Newsom. If men could get pregnant, this wouldn't even be a conversation. This decision isn't about strengthening families. It's about extremism. It's about control. We will fight for the right to choose. Now, 
watch this here. If men could get pregnant, if men could get pregnant, if men could get pregnant. So, uh, literally just Google, can men get pregnant? And healthline.com, first line says, yes, it's possible for men to become pregnant and give birth to children of their own. In fact, it's probably a lot more common than you think. We need to break down some common misconceptions about how we understand the term man. So, yeah, so that's very common uh, belief amongst those who push this gender ideology, transgender ideology, and all this stuff, right? And so that's why I supported this post. And that's why everybody gave Gavin Newsom such shit last week when he said, if men could get pregnant, because it's like, dude, you always say men could get pregnant. Like you change the term to chest feeding and all those gender neutral terms for motherhood. They took uh, mother and father, like the, they took mother, like you can't say mother anymore, like in the Senate house or whatever, like that was like moved in or in the um, house of representatives, there was like this move to take mother out. And it was like, only mothers can give birth to children. So anyways, going back to my friend here, um, he said, congrats on managing to fit transphobia and misogyny in one post, truly a godly way to move through the world. Now, there's always something fun about what people who give not a damn about religion or God tell you what is a godly way to move through the world. Um, So my response was, so which is it? Can men get pregnant or are men not allowed to have an opinion on abortion? And he said, this isn't really the gotcha you think it is because it's based on you misgendering trans women. Like if someone transitions from male to female, then that's how they identify. And people also exist who are born with more than one set of reproductive organs. All of those people can be affected by removing their access to healthcare. Just because you personally, Nate, are stuck within the confines of a gender and sexual binary does not mean everyone else is. Now, if you are like me, you listened to that and you were like, what in the shit is this kid trying to tell me, right? Because it doesn't make a ton of sense. But the most interesting part for me was just how totally effed his understanding of human biology is. He said that it is based on my misgendering of trans women. Now, the great irony of that is that it's, it's, it's false, right? So to say that my thought process on men getting pregnant, my, you know, this juxtaposition that is obviously a clear violation of reason, you can't say that men can get pregnant and that men, and in the next breath, say that men can't have an opinion on abortion because men can't get pregnant. That, I mean, I don't know how it could be any more clear philosophically that those two things are, are incompatible together, right? Men can't get pregnant and also not get pregnant. <laughs> I mean, unless you just have like no, like there's just no reality anymore. There's like, you just, you just abandoned all truth. Now, the thing that's most interesting here is he said, it's on me misgendering trans women. Now, the reason why that's false is because the reason why people say that men can get pregnant is actually because trans men get pregnant. So what he's saying here is he thinks that I'm saying men can get pregnant because biological men become trans women and then get pregnant, and I'm still calling them men. Let me let me run that back for you, because this is, this is some crazy, this is some wild, wild stuff. He thinks 
that I'm looking at a biological male who gets his willy chopped off and some breast implants. He believes that those people become women and get pregnant and that I'm still calling them men. And that's why I say that men can get pregnant. That's how just deranged his understanding of biology, human sexuality, and reproduction are, right? Now, my response was, it's not based on misgendering trans women. Progressives literally use the term that men can get pregnant. Trans women can't get pregnant. Mainly, and end here, let me, this is a side note. The reason why trans women can't get pregnant, for those of you who are wondering, is because they're biological men. Let me go back to what I said. I'm sorry for interrupting. I just, I can't get enough of this. He, I said, it's not based on misgendering trans women. Progressives literally use the term, quote, men can get pregnant, end quote. Trans women can't get pregnant. So your argument is missing the fact that only trans men can get pregnant. So by the LGBT logic, trans men are men. Therefore, men can get pregnant. Therefore, men should be able to have opinions on abortion. It actually has nothing to do with trans women. Because the only reason, as I said before, that people say that men can get pregnant is because biological women go through some phase of uh, transition, but still have a uterus, still have a lot of their, you know, their reproductive equipment and get pregnant. And people will say, well, that's a man. That's a pregnant man. That's a dad. That's pregnant. But it's a woman. Right. It's a biological woman. And so I said, I continue on. So I said, so I'm entering into your world of gender fluidity and pointing out the inconsistencies. I'm not even arguing that gender is binary, but if men can get pregnant, men should be able to have opinions on abortion. And then I go on to say, now, obviously, men cannot get pregnant. That's basic biology and not something I made up to confine myself within a binary gender social construct. And men can have an opinion on abortion because it's a moral issue that affects a third party, not just a pregnant woman. That is, you know, the baby in the womb. And then whatever what i get in response is basically a uh word vomit of how i am making life life less safe for trans people namely his trans his lgbt students um he says you know he goes on to say uh i don't know everything every progressive says or that every trans person or activist says on this issue your post which is now gone said something along the lines of how men can have an opinion on this because of how you were misgendering them. Again, I was not misgendering them. I'm genuinely, I was like entering into your world. I'm saying that men can get pregnant. So therefore you have to allow men to have opinion on abortions. You can only have one or the other. He claims that I'm misgendering somebody, which I don't understand. Then he says, I'm sure there are trans women who can get pregnant, just as I'm sure there are trans men who can get pregnant. I don't know if they make that choice. And there are non-binary people who can also become pregnant. This is not true. There is one gender who can get pregnant and it's women. And then he says, so yes, all these people would have opinions on access to abortion, but your thing is just reverse engineered to make your point right. So whatever, congrats. So I guess ultimately, I don't even know if I really realized this before right now, but he does say, yes, all people would have opinions on access to abortion. So I guess you could say that that would be the choice that he chooses um, because he clearly believes that anybody of any gender can get pregnant, which is um, scientifically mind boggling. That is for sure, to say the least. Um, and then he tells me the reason why I message people like you who post your stupid posts is because your transphobia just pisses me off. Now, I don't know what was transphobic about me saying that trans men are men and can get pregnant, but, uh, 
apparently it was. And he says he's not here to argue with me after arguing with me. And it tells me that what I'm doing is uh, making things left safe for LGBT, LGBTQ plus people and kids to sign their identity. Not certain of that, um, but yeah, I think it was really interesting. So I love having those little conversations because I think it's it's really intriguing to hear. And I had another one, but we're obviously like way into this. So I'm going to save that for another time. Um, conversation I was having with somebody online. And I think it's just really interesting to see inside the mind of the people who think so much differently than us and just kind of hear their thoughts um, and their reasoning for their positioning and their stances on certain things. And so, um, yeah, don't be afraid. And obviously try to do it the best you can with, um, and I tried there as best I could to just use reason and logic and um, try to stay emotionally relaxed, right? So taking time to respond and pray in between responses and things like that is super important. So I want to encourage you to do that if you're engaging with people online or in person, um, but just use logic and and reason. And obviously sometimes they're not going to ultimately agree with you, but sometimes they will. I mean, he did agree that men can have opinion on abortions. And so um, not necessarily the route I'd like to take to get somebody to agree with that because we should have be able to have opinions on these things regardless. Um, but at least it did kind of show like, wait, maybe this doesn't make as much sense. But then if you just deny all logic, then I guess you can just kind of live in whatever world you want. But yeah, in conclusion, pray for those who are pro-choice um, and consider themselves Catholic. Pray for those who are pro-choice that were uh, are falling away from the faith. Pray for those who are uh, these pro-choicers who are clearly, I think, you know, possessed by an evil spirit who are doing this vandalizing and um, just reckless behavior and attacks on churches throughout the country. One thing I think is really interesting that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of days is, you know, when I was a kid and uh, you heard the gospel, right? You read the gospel or you study the gospel yourself. You often will think about, or I mean, I often thought about you know, like, man, we don't see things like this. Like Jesus, it, it seemed like Jesus was just rolling around and just seeing people just possessed, right? Like just straight up, just demons, just dominating people. He's cast demons into pigs and all kinds of wild stuff and just encountering the devil, you know, left and right, just like people who are possessed. And it's like, you don't, I'm like, where is that in today's day and age? And I don't mean that in a way that like I wanted it to come about, but I was just kind of genuinely curious. Like, does that still exist? And for a long time, I felt like I couldn't see it. But if you watch these videos of these women taking baby dolls and ripping them up, when you see the woman, that, that viral picture of the woman who has a T-shirt that says, I've had 21 abortions. When you see, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren screaming about uh, the right to, to kill a baby up to nine months of pregnancy or, or and, and somebody like her who's unwilling to sign a bill that says that you have to actually provide uh, healthcare and, and like uh, medical treatment to babies who survive abortions, right? They're outside of the womb on their own. They survived an abortion. You still, you know, they still, somebody like her and um, uh, was the Senator from, I think it's Minnesota. Uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, she was one of the uh, democratic candidates this past year or this past election uh, in the primaries, but they, they won't sign bills like that to protect babies who've survived abortions outside of the womb. And so I think when you think about these people, you have to really, uh, we need to pray for them. And you need to pray for them hard. You need to strive to be holy in your own life so that you can, um, you know, your prayers are just that much more effective, right? So that you're staying in communication with God and receiving those spiritual goods, right? And so it's so important to take, take your time off from these things to step away and really focus on your spiritual life 
because all of this can distract you and start to develop and well up within you this certain sense of pride, right? When you see people who seem like they're legitimately possessed by the devil, um, it can really give you a strong sense of pride that just isn't healthy for your spiritual life. It's not good for you or your family um, or for your journey towards heaven. And so remember to take time out to pray, to, to continue to read spiritual reading, to dive into the gospels, to go to adoration, to go to confession, um, to pray the rosary, to do the things that help you to become closer to the saint that God created you to be, because it doesn't make any sense for us to gain um, a foothold or to win a battle or to win the war and the fight against abortion to lose our souls. So keep that in mind. Um, keep your holiness uh, and your daily duties, your responsibilities, your prayer life as top priorities. And uh, God willing, one day we'll see the, the reign of abortion in our country and hopefully around the world come to an end. Um, but no of our prayers for you. Thank you for listening today. If this is helpful, please feel free to share it with somebody. Um, if you're feeling extra generous, leave us a review. Thank you. And of course, continue to fight hard, be your best. God bless.